wonderful presence of the Lord here. The message that I want to share, and I believe God wants to deposit within our hearts, is a, for some it'll be a reminder, for others it'll be something new. I believe for all of us it'll be fresh information. It's about God's dwelling place. But before I do, I want to just share some stories about my team and I, as you saw on the, the video clip, my ministry, we are so honored to have the privilege of being able to go all over the globe and minister, be vessels, simply be vessels that God can move through to touch people. And that can be in a church gathering or it can be in a pub and a club and on the streets. Last year, we had the honor of going to Ukraine. We've been going to Ukraine for over 10 years. My wife, Natasha, was born in Ukraine, but she grew up in America. And so through my relationship with her, God opened the door for us to go to Ukraine. And uh, as you know, it used to be a part of the Soviet bloc. But when the Berlin Wall fell, all these, all these little countries became their own entities. <clears throat> and for the last 15 years, there's been an incredible move of God going on in Ukraine. And so for us, it's been a privilege to have the opportunity to go there where, and, and to enter outreach into the streets, to reach the lost, and then also to have the opportunity to edify and to build into the body. Um, some of the stories, you know, over the years we've been into, we'll go to a, in a town of 20,000 people, you'll have four, one, two, three, four, five thousand people turn up. Stalin standing there, statue of Stalin, and we're here rocking it out, telling the people about Jesus. I tell you something, it is life-giving. Talk about adventure. You talk about life. To see people come to know Jesus in that place. It's phenomenal. But last year, we went to Ukraine, and it was a different Ukraine in the sense that, as, as you know, Ukraine has been, has been going through a war. There's a war happening in Ukraine. To cut a long story short, we have the West, which is Germany, France, and, and all of that part of Europe. And you have the eastern part of Europe, the Russia and other parts. And right, bang, smack, in the middle, you have Ukraine. It's a very, very industrious and resourceful country. The topsoil, I've never seen topsoil so thick. It's up to three meters thick in places. Topsoil. So to get to the clay, you've got to take three meters of soil away. It is a very, very rich country. And so, we've got, so, so we have the West that wants Ukraine, and we have the East that wants Ukraine. And these two forces, in a nutshell, are just battling over it, and it's tragic. But, but uh, politics uh, and, and, and people um, who, who, whose hearts have been removed from God often use others to do their dirty work. And hundreds of people are dying over there in Ukraine. But in the midst of the battle, there is a move of God that is happening that is absolutely incredible. And we had the privilege of going to Ukraine and being a part of seeing what God is doing there. One of the stories that we heard, before I get into the word, was um, every man up to the age of 60 has to go to war in Ukraine. And so uh, many of the pastors there are having to, to leave their posts and go and fight. Now, God is not pro-Russia or pro-Ukraine. He's pro-people. He loves people. He's, he doesn't get involved in all that stuff. Humanity can do what they want. God is into people. When people cry out to him, he hears and will touch wherever you are, whether that's in, in, in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, New Zealand, Australia. No matter where you and I are, if we will cry out to him, he is faithful and he will hear us. He's into people. <laughs> so he's gonna, and so this pastor goes to the battle, and uh, at a certain moment in this fight, all the enemy was around him, and he calls, he calls his pastor, who was at that time in the States, touring around America. And so he calls the pastor in America, who was his 
pastor and says, Pastor, if, you, if, something, is, if something doesn't happen, I'm going to die today. The enemy is closing in. So the pastor who was in the States called the church together in the Ukraine. Everybody got together, and they cried out to God. They prayed. It's amazing. Wow. Incredible. Prayer. The next day, the pastor who was in the fight calls the pastor who was in Ukraine and says, you wouldn't believe it. At a certain moment in the battle, these clouds came from nowhere, thunder and lightning, and the heavens opened and it rained all night. The battle stopped. The next day we got up and the enemy was gone and they left all their guns and armory on the ground. Another story, this pastor, he, he became known in the army as pastor. And so all the, all the men would go to him for a prayer in the fight. And so he, went, he won a lot of people to the Lord. But there was four guys that this story is around, four young men who gave their hearts to Jesus. They were that they were sent on a mission with another 40 other guys. And so they're on a helicopter getting set to go out on a mission. And just as the helicopter's about to take off, the colonel comes in, opens the door, says, you, 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 and you, I've got, a, I've got a, a, another plan for you. Hop out, go over there, right? These young men had just given their lives to Jesus. The helicopter takes off, and within minutes was shot down, and all those men lost their lives. It was all over the news. But the men who found Jesus were protected and saved. Turn with me, if you were to Acts chapter 7. The message that we're talking about today is God's dwelling place. We're living in an incredible time in history where like never before it's important <clears throat> that we as the body of Christ stay close to God. There is so much lies and deception that has is, that is been spewed over the hearts and minds of the world through the media, very, various other outlets. And the question is, how do, we, how do we keep ourselves from being seduced? How do we keep ourselves from being deceived? Well, there is a way to keep ourselves as God's people clean and, 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 and alert and awake to what is truly going on around us so that we can be the light that God has called us to be. Are you all with me this morning? God's dwelling place is about, is about making sure our foundation is right in order to truly be and truly stand in this final hour. As one age comes to an end and a new one begins with Jesus coming. He is coming. What he said he would do, he will do. He's not forgotten. We're going to find out about that today. God's dwelling place. Acts chapter 7 verse 44 to 50 says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, verse 
48. Repeat this after me. Say, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, read this with me. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Verse 50, has my hands not made all these things? Father, we thank you today for the, the, the witness of your spirit concerning these things spoken and the things heard. In the name of Jesus, we break the power of all blindness and from our eyes. We pray in Jesus' name that the scales would be removed, if any are there, that we would be able to, to feed off this, this, this fresh manna from heaven that we would never be the same again, that this moment, this day, because of your power, of your spirit, and your word, we would not leave this place the same. In Jesus' name. God does not live in houses made with man's hands. God does live in a house. The Bible says it's a house that he made with his own hands. Acts chapter 7 verse 50 says, Has my hand not made all these things? This message you're hearing is about understanding where God's house is, where is this place of rest, and who are you and I in relationship to this? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, it says, And so God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Everyone say, God made me. In his image. But say, I didn't come from a monkey. Say, I didn't come from a monkey. Now, God made the monkeys, and most of us think they're pretty cute. God made monkeys, and they're wonderful. But the difference between you and I and monkeys are, monkeys were not made in God's image. Monkeys were made out of, out of God's dream, out of God's mind, out of God's hands. But He made you and I in His image and likeness. You say, why do you say this? Well, lift up your hands today. Lift up your hands if you were, uh, how many here went to a public school in America? an awful lot of us. Most of us here probably were taught we did come from a monkey. And the residue in our subconscious is most likely, we, 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 although we're saved, we love Jesus, we know this knowledge, but it's, 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 it's highly probable that as we go about our daily lives, we still subconsciously live in that understanding. And you'll understand in just a minute, it's very important that we define and understand that we did not come from a monkey. It is because we were made in the image and likeness of God that He is so in love with us. How much does He love us? How much do we mean to Him? Turn to Psalms 139. Psalms 139. Everyone say, He loves me. How much does he love us? Let's have a look at this. This will blow your mind. Blew my mind and still blows my mind every time I hear it. Psalms 139 verses 1 to 4 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it all together. Verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being as yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Verse 17, listen to this. How precious 
also are your thoughts toward me, O God. How great is the sum of them. How great is the sum of your thoughts toward me. Listen, how great is it? How great? Listen to this picture. Listen to this picture we've been, that the Holy Spirit is painting for us today. If I should, verse 18, if I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Has anyone been to the beach recently? I grew up at the beach. I'm one of these surfer, surfer kids. I used to surf all the time. Beautiful beach in Narnia land, New Zealand. And so the sand, I remember picking a very fine white sand. And you just imagine picking that sand up in your hand and trying to figure out how many particles are in that hand. You think about all the sand on the seashores of the planet. And this is a picture and a painting of how much you and I mean to our Father in heaven. Pause. Just think about that for a minute. Just think about that for just a moment. One of the strategies of the enemy in humanity is to try to remove us from that revelation. And so we have tragically in our schools this diabolical, satanic knowledge that we came from a monkey. We were made in the image and likeness of God. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we see God's original plan for His dwelling place. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. When did man become a living being? When God breathed into him. Before God breathed into man, he was not living. Are you all with me? God formed man from the dust of the ground, and it was not until he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life that man became a living being. Now, important to understand this, the Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means wind, breath, air, or spirit. The word breath is has the same meaning as spirit. So when God breathed into man's nostrils, it was his spirit that came into man. And so God created us, all humanity, he created us his dwelling place. This is God's original place of rest. The original plan for God's dwelling place was the man he created. This is the place where God wants to live. This is the place where God wants to dwell. This is the place of choice for Him. He does not live in a house made with man's hands. He lives in the place He made for Himself. Hit the person next to you and hit him and say, Wake up. Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, we see the destruction of God's original dwelling place. Genesis 2 and verse 17 says this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you do, you shall die. We all know the story. God speaking to Adam. We know the story. Man and woman ate of the fruit of the tree, but the question is, did they die? Well, actually, they lived for over 900 years. So when God said they would die, what happened? Well, what happened was as soon as man and woman ate of the fruit, the virus that was in the fruit came into the computer, came into man and destroyed God's dwelling place so his breath could no longer be in man. And so the Spirit of God, it, it, 
man died when the Spirit of God, the breath, left because God and sin do not cohabit. Are you with me this morning? And from this moment in history, from this moment, God loved us so much, He begins the process to restore His dwelling place. We pick up the process in Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Let's look at the process of God restoring His dwelling place again. We pick up the process as God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Exodus 20 Verses 1 to 17 says, And God spoke these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Stop for a moment. It is important that we as humanity understand that God did not make us to be in bondage. God did not make us to be slaves. God did not make us to be living in insecurity and in fear and in bondage to sin in any form or any measure. God made us in His image and likeness. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Why did God give these Ten Commandments to Moses? Number one was to reveal to man their sinful condition. Everyone say to reveal to us our sinful condition. When Adam disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, the virus that was in the fruit came into man and destroyed God's original dwelling place. The life of God left. God cannot cohabit with sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We all know it. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, God made us clothed with His glory. You and I were made with God's glory. with His glory because we're made in His image. But sin corrupts that and causes us to live lower than what we were made to live. Oh boy, is this good. I love it. Just think about this for a minute. And so God gave in, in, in His first one of his first steps to, to, to restore his dwelling place again, humanity, you and I. He gives the Ten Commandments to Moses to reveal to us our sinful condition. Number two, why did he give these commandments to Moses? Number two, it was to reveal to us our need for a Savior. You say, why? Well, and according to the law, the commandments, if you broke one of them, you broke them all. Yeah, you may not commit adultery, you might fornicate, you, but how many have ever lied? And in lying, you broke the whole thing. And the wages of that sin was death. Why? The breath cannot live in a house that's full of sin. Sin was a problem. So God had to reveal to us our sinful condition 
and to reveal to us our need for a Savior. There was no, no amount of good deeds you and I can, there's, there's no amount of good deeds, no amount of money you can give away, no matter, no matter how much you and I try to be good and to be free from the sin, from the virus that came into man through Adam's disobedience, there was nothing that you and I could do. We needed a Savior. Say, thank God for Jesus. The next step in God restoring his dwelling place was that he commands Moses to build him a tabernacle. Turn to Exodus chapter 25, verses 8 and 9. Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. And it says in verse 8, And let them make me a sanctuary. Listen carefully to this. The word sanctuary in Hebrew means a sacred place. In the Webster's Dictionary, it means a safe place. And when I thought of this safe place, I thought, well, it, 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 it really does paint an incredible picture of God's character. God wanted to be with his people, but he needed a safe place in order for him to dwell there. Safe from what? From sin. God needed a safe place. This shows his, his humility. It shows his sensitivity. It's, he is a lion, but he's also a lamb. It's, he, he is so... If you think of love, if you think of the most beautiful, meek and gentle and kind person, all wrapped up in one, that is our Father. And so he says to Moses, make me a sanctuary. And then it says that I may dwell among them according to all that I shall show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. Why did God instruct Moses to build a tabernacle? Because God wanted to be among his people. Everyone say, he, he wants to be with us. Say, he wants to be among us. In the tabernacle, we see the process in order, it took in order for his breath and His Spirit, His presence to be restored back to His people. Each part of the process represented what Jesus Himself would do on the cross 1,500 years later. Each piece of furniture in the tabernacle would also represent what Jesus Himself would do on the cross 1,500 years later. God has a plan. God is in charge. Now let's have a look at the tabernacle. We're looking at the process. The process to the Ten Commandments was what? To reveal to us our sinful condition. We had a condition. Why? Because of Adam's sin. The virus came into the earth, and every generation carried that virus in us. In the virus, we see the murder. We see deceitfulness. We see the lies. We see all the darkness that came into the earth through that virus. We see it. We're showing it. It's revealed to us, and there's, there's nothing that you and I could do to deal with it. There was no antidote. We needed a Savior. Now we come to this second part of the God restoring His dwelling place. He says, Moses, build me a tabernacle. Why? Because I want to be among my people. Now, if you studied the tabernacle, you will know that it is like a rectangular uh, lot or like a tent. And the first step, it's important we, we take time to understand this, because God is so wonderful. In the tabernacle, every piece of furniture is representing Jesus. The priest would come in, and he would come through the door. A door, this door is significant of Jesus. You want to say Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. At one end of the tent was the door. At the other end of the tent was, the, was, was an ark that was filled with the glory and the presence of God. Are you with me right now? 
And so you come back here to the beginning. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is the door. You take another step. You come to the brazen altar. What is the brazen altar? It is on the brazen altar there was, there was a blood sacrifice given daily for the sins of the people in order for the priest to get and touch or even come near to the, the, the holy of holies where the presence of God was. This is significant of what Jesus himself would do on a cross over 1,500 years later. Come on, somebody. Are you with me right now? We take another step. The priest would come in the door past the altar to the laver. The laver inside, the laver was filled with water and the priest would take the water and he would wash himself before going further into the presence of God. This is significant of the Word of God when we as God's people take this Word and we meditate upon it and we feed upon it. It washes us and it cleanses us from all that would hinder us from being able to enter into the place that we were made to live. Are y'all with me right now? We take another step, and now we come to the holy place. There's another door. Go through the door. That's Jesus. On the left-hand side, you have the golden candlestick. On the right-hand side, you have the table of showbread. The golden candlestick is significant of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The bread... The table of showbread, on that table was bread that the priest would break and eat. This is significant of the Word of God. This room was pitch black, and so this candle illuminated the room in order for the priest to break bread and do what he needed to do. This bread is significant of the Word of God. This candle is significant of the Holy Spirit. And when we as God, you can be sitting on the toilet doing what you need to do. You can be reading and feeding on this information, and the Holy Spirit will awaken you. It will bring life to you just by taking a hold of what God has called you to do. Y'all come back now. We take another step now. Candlestick, bread, altar of incense. We come to a, a veil. This veil is 60 feet high. 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. Listen to this. And in Hebrew, in the Hebrew, the veil was there to protect a holy God from an unholy people. Do you understand? And only one man, one time a year, could enter in past the veil. Because beyond the veil, we have the holiest of holies and the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was God's presence, His breath restored back to the world. But only one man, one time a year, could enter into that place. How many know today that God, in his heart, it is not his plan that only one person enters into that place. It is God's will and his plan that all of humanity, every Arab, every Asian, every European, every little hobbit from New Zealand, no matter where we're from, no matter where we come from, God wants us all to be filled with the presence and the glory of God. But there was a problem. Only one man could get there in the veil. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, four inches thick, protected the presence of God. Now, I want us to remember this moment, this veil, because we're going to come here in just a minute. But before we do, now we're going to fast forward 1,500 years. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians. Are you all with me this morning? 1 Corinthians chapter 6.
1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 to 20. And it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Now, question, what happened in between Exodus and Corinthians? 1,500 years passes. The presence of God, the glory of God, and Exodus was in a box. Fast forward 1,500 years to Corinthians. It's no longer in a box, but it is in his original dwelling place. What happened? Well, we're going to find out. Let's have a look. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. John chapter 19, verses 28 to 30. Verse 28 says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Everyone say, Jesus had a mission. It says, all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. Verse 29, it says, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on his hip, and put it onto his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Everyone say, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What is finished? What happened? What was finished? What was completed? What was accomplished? Well, Matthew gives another account, which helps to give us a broader understanding. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 to 51. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 to 51, and it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice. He cried out again with a loud voice. He cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the, the veil of the temple. We will say the veil. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. Now, you remember the veil. Let's get, come back here to the veil. Now, it was in a different location, but the same principle. There was a veil that stood between an evil man and a holy God. When Jesus gave up the ghost at a certain moment in history, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and said, It is finished. The work has been done at that moment in the temple the veil that stood between an unholy man and a holy God was torn and broken, smattered into tiny little pieces. And now all humanity through Jesus can enter into the presence of God. Not just one man, not just one woman, not just one. Come on, somebody. Hey, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to America. I'm talking to New Zealand. I'm talking to the United Arab Emirates. I'm talking to somebody. Somebody. Oh, oh, yeah. Give me that Jesus. I just want that Jesus. I want his presence. I want his presence. Nothing. The veil of sin was broken. Your mama and father, your granddad and grandma, our brothers and sisters, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more shame, no more grief. This, this is what this is all about. We can sing all the songs we want to, have all the nice lights, have all the cute slogans, 
But if we don't get this, there's no worship. Because it's only at this revelation that you can worship. You want to know where true worship begins? You want to know where true worship begins? It begins with this revelation. Possibly this is the greatest measure, the most important message you'll ever hear. Not because it's my message, because it's his message. I am a caretaker like you are caretakers. I am a messenger like you are messengers. That's why every man, woman, and child from the, from the least to the, the greatest needs this revelation. We didn't come from monkeys. We were made in the image and likeness of God. And it's his breath that brings life. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> We're almost done. <sighs> Romans chapter 5, verse 17 to 19. Listen. It says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, Adam Judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, Jesus, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Say, thank God for Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, again, what, why are we reading this? Why? Because it's washing us. It's washing us. It's, it's cleansing us from all the old thinking, from all self-thinking, from all works thinking. I've got to do this to do that. You can't do nothing. He has done it all. Just receive it. Hebrews 10 verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Verse 19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of the Lamb, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through, everyone say, through the veil. Through the veil. That is, our, that, that is His flesh. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Why did God allow the, that tree to be in the garden? It's a good question. C.S. Lewis explains it really well. This witness is with me. Free will, everyone say free will. Though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. Listen to this again. Why did God put that, why did he allow that tree to be put in the garden? Free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. God did not make robots. And when he comes, he's coming for a people who love him because they want to. I'll never forget the moment in my life when I would say I had my infilling experience. And I'm not, I'm not saying everybody has to have this experience, but it was something real that happened to me, and I think it would encourage some of us here today. Up until age 16 years of age, my whole life revolved around sport. I was a good athlete, rugby in the winter, cricket in the summer, football in the winter, baseball in the summer. And so my whole life felt as if that would, was what I would do for the rest of my life. But thank God for a praying mother. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a pastor's kid. And I'd seen the things that God done. I've seen the things he does. 
I've heard about the things he does, but what I discovered was this. There's a difference between hearing, seeing, and knowing. Mum mom said to me, son, you can see all you want, you can hear all you want, but at some point in your life, my boy, you're going to have to know him for yourself. And so I, at a certain moment, at about 16 years of age, I put the rugby ball in the, the closet, the cricket bat and ball in the closet, and I, I shut my bedroom door and begin to cry out to God, God, I don't, I've heard about the things you do. I've even seen the things you do. But I want to know you personally. I am desperate to know you personally. For weeks, I went, God's Word says He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so after, after weeks of seeking Him, sometimes with no feeling, no nothing, just this cold room, just crying out to God, one day, suddenly, His presence filled my room. And I fell on my face and begin to weep and weep and weep like a baby. It was as if I'd put my, an, another sensation which happened was as, as if I put my finger in a light socket and this tingling thing just was surging through my veins and through my body. It was supernatural. It was incredible. And all I can tell you is this, was the young man who went down under the power of God was a different person when he stood up. And all I wanted to do was tell the world about Jesus. Nothing else mattered anymore. The rugby didn't matter. The cricket didn't matter. Nothing in the world mattered but telling the world that Jesus is real. He's alive. We didn't come from monkeys. And so in my bedroom, I was like this roaring lion. I was bold, confident, sure, I clear in my thinking. But every time I would step out to share or to talk about this revelation with anybody, this incredible fear would grip me. In my bedroom, I was like a, a roaring lion, nothing powerful, nothing good stuff. But every time I stepped out, I became a caged, skinny, scrawny little kitty. <laughs> Why? Well, I had a problem. I had a problem in my life is that I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. And so every time I'd step out and begin to talk with anybody, this fear would grip me of what they would think of me if I just couldn't seem to get it out. How I overcame that. Now, over 40 countries later, for 17 years of ministry, funded by faith in God alone. Thousands come to know Jesus. Many amazing healings and miracles how I overcame my problem is the same way that you'll overcome yours. You see, I have a problem, we all do. The fallen nature, all of us have something that wants to stop us from being who we really are. And the way I overcame my problem is the same way that you'll overcome yours. The more time I spent being filled with the presence of God, the more His love in me for people became stronger than my fear of what they would think of me. Perfect love casts out all fear. What holds you back today? Do you know who you really are? Precious ones. The satanic agenda for humanity is to round us all up and to murder us and kill us and destroy us. We see that with Hitler. We see that Mousy Tongue, Pol Pot. We see this. The atmosphere in America for this is being created. 
Anytime you take God out of the minds of the children, at some moment in that history, those young children grow up leaders who are lost. And it opens the door for a genocidal type of a spirit to come into the people. It's just how it is. It's not God's judgment. It's nothing to do with God. It's to do with an enemy that is allowed into our lives. Thank the Lord that you are here today because you have been saved. But we have a generation that is lost and must be found. We have a generation that is blind and must see. In order for this, as God's body, as his dwelling place, he wants to fill us with a glory the world has not yet seen. And this message is about preparing you, his body, for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit this world has ever seen. And then the master will return for his bride who is prepared for What hinders us? This is our, the closing moment today. Can I please have the keyboards play nicely behind me? God made man in his image. It wasn't not until God breathed into man that he became alive. alive. It was the breath that caused man to come alive. It was God's spirit in man that caused man to come alive. Man eats of the fruit of the tree. The virus in the fruit comes into man, destroys the temple. The Spirit of God can no longer be in man because God and sin don't mix. From this moment, God begins the process to restore his dwelling place again. He comes to Moses with the Ten Commandments. Why? To reveal to us our sinful condition. Number two, to show us that we need a Savior. He comes to Moses again to build him a tabernacle so that his presence could be restored back to the earth. First step wasn't the, 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 the end destination. It was just the beginning. Moses obeys, and we see God's presence brought into an ark. We fast forward 1,500 years. We understand that that tabernacle was a prophetic, a prophetic picture and painting of what Jesus would do on the cross. Jesus did it. At that moment, it is finished. The veil that separated man, an unholy man from a holy God, was destroyed. And now all humanity, through Jesus, can have and be filled with the glory of God. What hinders us now from being filled like God wants us to be? Hosea 4, 6 says, My people suffer because of lack of knowledge. Well, I believe we've got some knowledge today. For some, it's a reminder. For others, it is new information. But I believe for all of us, in his presence, it's fresh manna from heaven. Turn with me as we close to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And it's important that we close on this so we can all prepare ourselves to be filled like he wants us to be. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 16. The Apostle Paul, talking to, talking to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul is now talking to the church in Jacksonville. Jackson, where are we? Jackson. Excuse me. I go to a lot of new places. It says in verse 11, it says, O Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. It says in verse 12, you are not restricted by us, listen carefully, but you are restricted by your own affections. Everyone say affections. One thing that hinders us from being filled like God made us to be filled is our affections. What do we love more than God? There is a battle raging in this earth for, for one thing. Our 
affections. So we can come to church, do all the churchy stuff, but not be and truly have our affections in the right place. You say, I don't know, I'm not sure. I know someone who does. He is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so you ask Him. Ask Him. Holy Spirit, is there anywhere in me that my affections are not in order? Please show me because I want to be filled. How many want to be filled without measure like God wants us to be? Amen. Number two, the second thing that hinders us. Verse 13, it says, let's go from verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Jesus spent a lot of time with unsaved people. This is not about not spending time with sinners. We need to be around them. We need to have fellowship with them. But the sinner must not influence us. We must influence the sinner. You say to me, I'm not sure where we're at with that. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. If there's any area in your heart that's unequally yoked. Let's read verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial, or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Listen carefully. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Third thing that hinders us, what agreement is the temple of God with idols? Idols. Ask the Holy Spirit. Will you show us? Will you show us, Holy Spirit, that we might be filled with that measure? Will you reveal to us the condition of our hearts, Lord? We open up our hearts to you. We ask you to come and reveal all unrighteousness, every affection, every idol. We might be clean, Lord, that we might build you a place of rest inside of us. Jesus, our affections, unequally yoked idols, hinder us. Ask the Holy Spirit. How do we reverse this in our lives? How do we make changes? How do we make a place of rest? Remember this, God built the house. He made the house. He gave us the tools to make that place a place of rest for God. Listen to this. Therefore, verse 17, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Therefore, having these promises. What promise? The promise of being filled and being a dwelling place for God. Wow. Wow. Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. Who does the cleansing? No, you, us. I'll read it again. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. How do we cleanse ourselves? Use the tools that God has given us through Jesus. That's the partnership. I'm not a robot. 
He's, not, he's done everything he needed to do at the cross. It's all been done. We've got to, you've got to read your word. I've got to read my word. I need to get in prayer. I've got to turn the television off and stop watching all this stuff. I need to get alone with God and take his word and wash and cleanse myself. I'm the one who doesn't go there or go there. But I do it empowered by Jesus who lives in me. That's the partnership. Do you understand today? So today, this is the ground and the foundation, this word, is the foundation by which a great outpouring of God's Spirit will come to Jackson and to every city in this nation. Will you prepare the place for me, my love? Will you prepare the place? Will you prepare the place that I have made, the house that I have built? Will you take the tools I have given you and let me fill you up again? Fill you up again. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. Stand and sing. And all will see how great. How great is our God. Splendor of the King and clothe the majesty. Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He ramps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide, trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, and all will see how great. How great is our God. He's the name above all names, yeah. And He's the name above all names. And worthy of our praise. And my heart will sing how great. Is our God? He's the name above all names, yeah. Name above all names, and worthy of our praise. And my heart will sing our praise. Is our God? How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is. And all will see Jesus. If you're here today, and first of all, you've, you've never. You've, maybe you never heard of this message you've, or this revelation. Maybe you're here today and you've never, never asked God to forgive you for sin in your life. Maybe you never knew you had sin in your life. Well, now you do. The Bible says all have sinned and that sin separates us from being filled with the God of heaven and earth. If you're here today and you would say, I want to be filled 
I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I want to ask Him to forgive me for sin in my life. I would love to pray with you, but I need to know who you are. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so we can pray with you. If you're here today and you would say, I want to be filled like God made me to be. I want to receive Jesus into my heart. I want Him to remove that sin in my life. If that's you today, just lift your hand straight up in the air. If that's you, straight up in the air. Straight up in the air. Anybody at all? One hand over there. Anybody else? Lift it. Another hand there. Anybody else today? Lift it straight up in the air. Anybody else? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Can I ask everyone to pray this after me? Say, Heavenly Father, we come to you today. And we thank you for Jesus. We understand that sin destroyed your temple. Our bodies are your temple. We didn't come from a monkey. You made the monkeys. But you made us. You made me. You made mankind in your image and likeness. And so today, I open my heart to you. And I ask you to come inside. I invite you to live inside me. I ask you to forgive me and wash me from all sin in my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to wash me clean, to make me whole. Thank you for Jesus, for my Savior. Help me from this day on to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those people who raise their hands after we're done, I'm going to be standing here. I want you to come and just stand here with me. I'd love to pray with you personally. But if you're here today, as we close this moment together, you're a Christian, you've lived for the Lord as best you know how. But just maybe there's affections there's maybe areas where you're unequally yoked. Maybe there's idols that, as, as we were speaking, the Holy Spirit was ashamed. Maybe this and this and this. I want to cleanse you from this and this and this. As we close today, we want to open this. It's like an altar where you come down and you lay those affections down. You lay those idols down. You lay those areas which are unequally, you lay them at the foot of, of an imaginary cross. Lay them down. Why are we saying this? You do not have to leave this building the same person you came. So as we sing, this is personal. Forget everyone else around us. This is between you and your Father. As we sing, just come and lay those things down. Just begin to pour out your heart to your Father, and we'll just see where the Holy Spirit leads. Split.